Chapter 20. Molly's Story. Peter's shoulders sagged with relief. Good, he said. I knew you. Not here, said Molly, gesturing toward the snoring Leatherface. We'll go to my cabin. Mrs. Bumbering shouldn't be back for an hour at least. Mrs. Bumbering had taken to spending most of her evenings in Slank's cabin, which was fine with Molly. All right, said Peter, heading toward the ladderway. One thing first, said, Pe- said Molly. She picked up the padlock and hasped. We need to find the other pieces to this. Why, said Peter. Just do it, please. Sighing, Peter joined Molly in searching the floor by the dim lantern light. In a minute or so, they found the four rusty bolts Alf had broken. Close the door. Peter, having decided it was no use to question her, obeyed. Molly held the padlock and hasp up to the door and inserted the broken bolts into their former holes. Carefully, she let go, and the hasp and padlock remained in place. It looked as though the door was was still securely locked. Peter was impressed. Come on, said Molly. Peter followed her up the ladder. She motioned him to stay in the passageway while she looked inside her cabin, seeing that it was, as she had expected, empty. She motioned Peter inside and closed the door. Please sit, she said, pointing to one of the cabin's two narrow cots. This will take some time. Peter sat. Molly remained standing, facing Peter, silent for a long moment, thinking. She finally spoke. I shouldn't tell you any of this, she said. But you just listen to me, she said. I shouldn't tell you, but given the circumstances, I've decided I have no choice. It sounded to Peter as though Molly was talking herself to herself more than to him. I'm not sure how much to tell you, she continued. There's much that I don't know myself. But if I'm to ask for your help, if I'm to ask you to risk your... I mean, there is terrible danger, and it would be wrong of, or if you, that is, if you didn't... Molly, said Peter, exasperated. Just tell me. All right, she said. She took a deep breath. Peter, have you ever seen a shooting star? Yeah, said Peter. It had been at St. Norbert's an eternity ago. The other boys had been asleep. Peter was lying on the narrow wooden platform that served as his bed, staring through the slit of a window at the night sky. He'd almost not believed it the first time. The startling, setting, the startling... Lee, sudden, eerily silent flash of brilliant, streaking light. There for an instant, then gone. But then he'd seen it again, and again, and again. The next day, he'd asked Mr. Grumpkin what the streaks were. Grumpkin said they were shooting stars. So Peter asked what shooting stars were, and Mr. Grumpkin said they were meteors. So Peter asked what a meteor was, and Mr. Grumpkin said they were rocks that fell from heavens. So Peter asked if that meant the heavens were made of rocks, and why the rocks were so bright. Why were they on fire? How did rocks catch fire? And Mr. Grumpkin clouded Peter on the ear and told him not to ask so many questions. And that had been the end of it. Do you know what they are? said Molly. They're rocks, said Peter, that fall from the heavens. That's true of most of them, said Molly. Almost all of them, in fact, but not quite all. What do you mean, said Peter? I mean, some shooting stars are not rocks. Some, a very few, are made of something quite different. It's called star stuff. At least, that's what we call it. Star stuff? You mean pieces that fell from a star? We don't know what it is, truthfully, but it's not rocks, and it comes from the heavens, and sometimes it comes to Earth. And when it does, we have to find it before the others do. Peter shook his head. What do you mean by we, he said. Who are the others? What does this have to do with... Please, Peter, she said. I'm explaining as best as I can. Sorry, go on. All right, first, what I mean by we, 
Peter, I'm part of a small group. A group of people. Well, mostly people. We're called... Peter hands, or Molly's hand went to the gold chain around her neck. The star catchers. Star catchers. Yes, my father is one, as was his mother, and so on. Most of us are descended from star catchers, but not all. There have been star catchers on Earth for centuries. Even if we don't know how long. But our task is always the same. To watch the star stuff, and to get to it, and return it before it falls in the hands of the others. Return it? Where? That's difficult to explain. Well, then, who are the others? They're people, too, or most of them are, and they've also been around for a long time. They are, that is, the Starcatcher's enemy. No, that's not quite right. We oppose them, but in truth, they are mankind's enemy. Why? What do you do? Or what do they do? They use the power. They take it, and Molly saw the puzzlement on Peter's face. But you don't know what I mean, do you? I need to explain more about star stuff. Is that what's in the trunk? Said Peter. Yes. That's why in the trunk, or that's what's in the trunk. It has amazing power, Peter. Wonderful power. Terrible power. <coughs> Excuse me. <coughs> Excuse me again. It, it lets you do things. What kind of things? Well, that's one of the mysteries. It's not the same for everyone. And it's not the same for people as animals. The rat, said Peter. The flying rat. Yes, said Molly. That's one of the powers it can give. Flight. To rats, said Peter. Not just rats, said Molly. People, too. Peter's eyes narrowed. It makes people fly? It can, said Molly. Can you fly, said Peter? Or asked Peter. I have, said Molly. Prove it, said Peter. What? Prove that you can fly. Peter, this isn't the time where the... Peter was on his feet now. Listen, you're asking me to believe, and I mean, it all sounds like nonsense, really. This star stuff, and these others, and I don't know why I should believe any of it. Peter, you saw the rat. I don't know what I saw. I mean, I saw a rat in the air, yes, but what if that was a trick? What if, I don't know, you had tied a string to it? There was no string, Peter. The rat got into star stuff. Somehow, it was flying. Prove it. Peter, please, you must prove it. Molly took a deep breath, exhaling slowly. All right, then, she said. I really shouldn't do this, but if you're going to be stubborn... I am, said Peter. Then sit down. Peter sat. Molly reached her hand to her neck, that put her finger under the gold chain, and from under her blouse pulled out a small golden five-pointed star. She placed this on the palm of her left hand, which she held at neck level. What's that? said Peter. A locket, said Molly. With her right hand, she opened the lid of the locket. As she did, it was suffused, er, suffused by light so that Peter couldn't see the locket, only a small glowing sphere of golden light. Molly's face, the cabin ceiling above her, were bathed in the glow. Peter had the strangest sense that he could feel the light as well. Is that... He began... Quiet, said Molly, slowly. Carefully, she touched her right index finger into the sphere. Uh... She moaned, leaning her head back, her eyes closed, her expression calm, blissful. She remained that way for perhaps five seconds, and then there was a click of the locket closing and the glow was gone. Peter wanted it back. Molly's head came forward, and she opened her eyes to Peter, who looked unfocused and more luminescent than ever. "'Are you all right?' Peter said. Molly blinked, then looked at Peter. "'Yes,' she said. "'I'm all right.' "'What was shh?' Molly said. "'Watch.' She stared at Peter, and he stared back into her startlingly green eyes. After a few minutes, Peter said, "'I don't see anything.' "'Peter,' she said. "'Look at my feet.' He looked down and gasped. 
Then he jumped from the cot and dropped to his hands and knees, his cheek pressed against the floor, looking to see how she did it, what the trick was. But there was no trick. Her feet were not touching the floor. There, or they were at least two inches above it. And as Peter looked, the distance grew. Molly was rising. Her head now gently touched the cabin ceiling. As it did, her body began to pivot until she was completely horizontal, facing the floor. Her back pressed against the ceiling, as though she were sleeping there. She smiled down at Peter. Now you believe me, she asked. Yes, said Peter. Good, she said. Her legs swung back down to the vertical and she descended gently to the floor. For a moment, Peter was speechless. Then questions came flooding out. Can you, can, can you do that any time, he began? I mean, could you just fly around whenever you want, like a bird? No, said Molly. To fly, I must use the power of the star stuff, and I, that is, we, the star cashers, only use, or carry only a limited amount. In time, it wears off. We're supposed to use it only in an emergency. I really shouldn't have used it just now. It's precious, and I really don't know how much I have in there. She tapped her locket and tucked it into her blouse. But can't you just get more, said Peter, from the trunk, I mean? There must be a lot in there. Yes, there is. That's, there's enough in that trunk that I could fly forever and do many other things besides. Is that what you're so concerned about, said Peter, because you want to get to it? No, Peter, I told you before, our task is to get the star stuff before the others do and return it. But why don't you just keep it, said Peter, because of the power. The power is too great. There's too much danger that it could be used for evil. But the star catchers, you're good, aren't you? If you have the power, why don't you just use it to control these, these others? Because it doesn't work. Because if people have the power, even if they start to use it for good, in time they will use it for evil. How do you know that? Because that's how it all started, this business of the star catchers and the others. It has been going on for thousands of years, Peter. Nobody knows precisely when it started, but in the beginning, somebody must have stumbled across some star stuff that had fallen to Earth. And whoever that was touched it and felt it its wonderful feeling. Peter, not just the flying. That's the most obvious, but there's so much more. Like what? Intelligence, for one thing. It's not so much that you become smarter as you feel as though you can really use your mind. You can see things you couldn't before. Understand things that others can't. Sometimes you feel you know what other people are feeling. You can feel it. And sometimes if you're close enough, you can change the way they, make, or they feel. Make them afraid or happy or sleepy. The guard, said Peter. The night I saw you in the room with the trunk and the rat, the guard fell asleep that night. Slank thought he was drunk. But you made that happen. Yes, I made that happen. I'd begun to suspect that trunk, but I'm getting ahead of my story. You were talking about the first person who found the star stuff, prompted Peter. Right, well, whoever that was suddenly became the most powerful person on earth, and he must have shared it with some others, probably his family and his descendants, because in time there came to be legends, stories of beings who had incredible powers, who could fly, who could control others. You've heard of those legends, Peter. I have? Yes, in fact, I'm sure you studied them. The legends of Zeus and Apollos, or Apollo. You mean mythology, the Greek and Roman gods? But Mr. Grumpkin said that was just, that was all true, Peter. Except that they weren't gods, they were people who found star stuff. But to ordinary people, they appeared to be gods. They inspired fear. They were worshipped. They were obeyed absolutely. In time, they learned to guard their secret better, to use the power more subtly instead of gods. They were called royalty, but they ruled just the same. They grew in power. They prospered. They had families. There came to be more of them, and all they wanted was power. They all needed the star stuff. But, as I said, it only lasts for a while. Then you need more. 
From time to time, more falls to earth, but nobody knows when it will fall or where or how much there will be. And so there came to be struggles, desperate struggles, over the star stuff that was known to exist. The new batch, or the new batches that fell to earth. Wars were fought, Peter. In the history you were taught, the wars caused by disputes over land or trade or religion. And some of them were, but in truth, much of the death and misery visited upon mankind over the century, centuries was the result of a secret, vicious struggle among a very few people over star stuff. And were the star catchers part of that struggle? Asked Peter. No, said Peter, or said Molly. They were a response to it. As the struggle became more violent and widespread, a few of the people who knew the secret of the star stuff began to see how dangerous it was. How there could be never, or could never be enough of it. And how easily it could be turned to evil purposes. Those few formed a secret society. A society within a secret society, really. They swore on oath that they would dedicate their lives to ridding the earth of star stuff. Except for the small quantities they would need to carry out their mission. Their strategy was simple. They would not try to get the existing supplies of star stuff away from the others. In time, they knew those supplies would be used up. Instead, they would focus their efforts on new batches of falling star stuff. They would get to these first and capture them. And so they called themselves the Star Catchers. And their strategy worked, Peter. It took time, but it worked. For years, the others didn't realize what was happening, only that it was more and more difficult to replenish their star stuff supplies. By the time they found out about the Star Catchers, they had been greatly weakened and most of the star stuff was gone. Where did it go? asked Peter. What did the star catchers do with it? Honestly, I don't know. What do you mean you don't know? You're one of them, aren't you? Yes, said Molly, but I'm still only an apprentice. It takes a great deal of training to be a senior star catcher, and one of the last things we learn is how to return the star stuff once we've captured it. But what do you mean return? Return it where? That's what I'm telling you. I haven't learned that yet. However the process works, I think it's dangerous because there are forces, I think, and they're not all good. This is probably a crude way of putting it, but just as we have the others in the star catchers here on Earth, there seem to be something similar going on up there, she pointed towards the sky. And you must be very careful when dealing with these forces, or she shook her head. But here on Earth, the star catchers are winning here, aren't they? You have the upper hand. Well, in recent times, yes. We're better organized than the others, by our very nature. We're working for a common cause, while they're every man for themselves and quick to stab the other one in the back for a bit of star stuff. So we've got an organization and plenty of observers counting people and porpoises. The porpoises, said Peter. So you were talking to them. Yes, she said, blushing. Sorry about that lie. We've been working with the porpoises for many years. Extremely intelligent they are. More intelligent than many people, if you ask me. Anyway, there's more sea than land, so as you'd imagine, a far amount of star stuff lands in the water. The porpoises have learned, as much as we did, that it's best to get rid of it. What do you mean? It's very odd what it can do to animals. Some of them hardly seem to be affected by it, but some of them change in the strangest of ways. Horses, for example. It's very bad to to let a horse get near star stuff. Why? Back to your mythology. Have you ever heard of a centaur? Yeah, the thing that's half man, half horse, but Grimkin said that was, it was real, Peter, and not very pleasant either. Something quite similar happened with a squid. What's a squid? An ugly, slimy, ill-tempered beast that lives in the sea, with lots of long arms. Some time ago, some of them got a hold of a large batch of star stuff, and, well, the porpoises were years 
or the porpoises were years sorting all that out, not to mention all the problems the human sailors had when they called sea serpents. Oh, said Peter. But as I was saying, 